I met this crazy genius who I call Alistair Morrison because he's kind of a cross between Alistair Crowley and Jim Morrison. And um, we started playing music together and, and hanging out and stuff. And he one day brought up the, the topic of the esoteric. And we all said, what's an esoteric? <laughs> and he <laughs> says, well, it means you don't know what it means. And we all laughed like, oh, God, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. and, uh, but this guy was super genius, right? Uh, long, crazy hair, wild man, long hair, nails, punk rocker, just crazy, but genius. And he opened up the, the puzzle to me. He showed me Alistair Crowley, the OTO, Black Magic, and then he showed me Freemasonry. And when I saw the signs and symbols of Freemasonry, I immediately recognized them and said, my dad's got all that stuff in his top drawer. And he says, well, then your dad's a Freemason. And I'm like, no way. You know, what you're talking about here, this crazy magic and all of this ritual, and, you know, nah. so that was my introduction to it. And suddenly I found out my whole family or my, my mom and dad are deeply involved in, in mysterious orders that I had wow. no idea about. And so I've always said that this is kind of a genetic, genetic memory because as I traveled, I talked to people. And that was kind of my gig. I just started wandering around the earth. I, I started making juggling sticks. 
And I realized I could sell these juggling sticks anywhere I wanted. And so I got in my van and I left. <laughs> I had no idea where I was going. And right at that moment, a little black and white spotted dog befriended me and followed me for the next five years across the country. Never mm. leashed that dog. I didn't even name him. Uh, I mean, he had a name, but I didn't give it to him. He's called Yin Yang. And me and Yin Yang, we traversed this nation, you know, four times a summer, back and forth, back and forth, never knowing where we were going, how we were going to get there, or what we were going to do when we got there. And I talked and I spread the message. There was no World Wide Web, you know, there wasn't any, it didn't exist, you know, there was no Yelp, there was no Google Maps. Right. Uh, but, you know, I would usually have somebody in the band with me that I would just, you know, uh, I, I would love to bring people that had never seen a mountain or, you know, and just stick them in my van. And I would just yank that carpet out right from underneath them and say, here we go. And I could drive 100 miles and the person next to me is like, where are we going? And I'd go, oh, well, I don't know, this spot, you know. I would tend to pick college towns to go to, to head towards, and then allow whatever to happen, happen. And I would return back home and, or whatever I would call home at that moment. Uh, you know, usually I'd find a place to stay for winter. Often it was Lawrence, Kansas. And I would tell my friends all the tales of everything that I had done. I'd done mountaintops, the valley lows, and done everything in between, you know, living the life of a millionaire and, uh, you know, never having a dime to my name. Yes. And they'd be like, well, how did you sleep? Where did you sleep? How did you eat? Where'd you go? What'd you do? How'd you do any of this? And I didn't have any answers. I was like, I don't know. Everything just kept going. As long as I was myself, as long as I uh, was friendly. And, uh, you know, honestly, it required a lot of subservience. And I think this is where most people lose this trail because I'd bring people with me and I'd see the difference in how some people would get reacted to and then how I was always welcomed back no matter where I went. And if you had any sort of chip on your shoulder or anything that thought your ego was bigger or better than anyone else's, this didn't work. Mm. So Beautiful. it was true. I had to be subservient to anyone and everyone that I would find. And, you know, I called it friendship was my currency. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the key ingredients to all of this, because most people want to engineer their lives and, and be in charge and feel in control. And I didn't mind being out of control. I didn't mind being, you know, under somebody else's home and thoughts or whatever. And, but in order to do this, you have to keep moving. You can't sit still. You have to keep traveling because if you try to stay in one place, then you're a burden. But if you're passing through, you're an adventure. And mm. people want to join in that adventure. They want mm. to share their lives. They learn things about their hometown they never saw before. And they get to share their lives with somebody, which, you know, there's a lot of lonely people that want nothing more. So that's how it really began was me wandering this earth uh, with my little dog and whoever I could grab and throw in the van with me because I hated traveling alone. And the other thing was I couldn't tend to perform my own feats of miracles for myself. Uh, only if I was trying to feed another, if I was trying to comfort another, like whoever I stuck in my van with me, <laughs> uh, could the magic really unfold. <laughs> uh, 
could the magic really unfold? Uh, I, I don't know that I've only, I think I was only on the road alone a couple of times. And I remember that moment when I first found myself alone on in the band. Now, realize when you're in a band, it's like you're on the open ocean. And, you know, you can't have your boat break down. I got, you know, I can tear that engine apart, put it back together. I could build the entire van if I needed to. Uh, wow. And you, you got to find a port, you know, you got to find a harbor. You don't know where you're going. And so there I was alone and I didn't really know how to do my magic for myself. So I, I'm sitting at the stoplight on a random highway somewhere and this car pulls up to me, you know, up next to me. And, and I don't know why, but they yell, Hey, what are you doing? Where are you going? And I say, I don't know. And they go, follow us. Okay. <laughs> and I wow. follow them to this campground where there's this three day barbecue, just free party. Here's all the food and anything you could possibly need. And suddenly everything was fine. You know, I, I, I never had to think about what it was going to come from or what I was going to do. It always found me. I had since, since Alistair Morrison had dropped this thought in my head and I discovered that my dad was a Freemason and that he was working for the government chasing flying saucers. He was building nukes when I was born. Uh, all of a sudden, all that stuff that I studied as a kid became reality. And yet not. Okay. I've had UFO experiences. I've had missing time. I have memories of floating out of my house in a red light as a child, I yeah. have missing time and cover memories, but yet I don't believe myself, you know? I don't know if anyone that's had these experiences know how strange that is. Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I know for damn sure that uh, Daytona Beach in 1993, I was sitting there and this giant rectangle hovered out over the ocean. And at that moment I lost five hours of time, me and a friend. So, you know, it was, it was something that we could compare. And now it was really strange because that friend ended up living in every state that I lived in without us ever knowing that the other was there. We only ran into <laughs> each other once. Wow. Uh, wow. And he's, he's in South Carolina right now. You know, it's crazy. He was in Kansas and I lived in Kansas. He was in Texas and I lived in Texas and he lives in South Carolina now. It's like we're bonded in some strange way. Amazing usually put my story this way but it does kind of fall this way after that five hours of missing time in which when we tried to find our way home we could not remember we couldn't recognize anything so uh you know i'm driving my my house is one street off the highway but i don't know which street it is and you know how you could get home by robotics i think that's how i got home you know it's just my body knew where to go but my mind sure didn't I remember being so confused and so after that moment I don't know uh, you know there's stories of people being shown the future and stuff in these type of abductions well I started predicting what was going to happen to America and I had this prime story mm. that you know for 18 years now hasn't changed and it's still going on and it's still exactly what's going on incredible so, I spent a lot of time just wandering and talking, following other nomads like the Grateful Dead heads, although I didn't care about the Grateful Dead. Uh, right. You know, I went to festivals and I, I, because these were the other nomads, 
Uh, you know, <laughs> I would actually say, who is the Grateful Dead and why do they keep following me? <laughs> I was. <laughs> the other way around. But eventually I started following the Dead Heads, but I hated them. Hated them. They were so material. I couldn't stand the Dead Heads. They let me starve. Like, you know, oh. they, they wouldn't feed me unless I gave them $5, you know, and mm -hmm. they were just not the people I was. I was more of a rainbow. So rainbow is a collective of people that gathers in the national forest every month. But every year there's a major gathering of 20 to 30,000 of us. Wow. And rainbow is now classified as terrorist organization, which is in our little tapped uh, because it is, but it's because it's anarchy and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And if mm -hmm. anybody compares this to Burning Man, I'll slap you up the face. Right. You know, right. It's no comparison. There's, everything's right. free. Everything is free. And so I discovered Rainbow about the same time I discovered Freemasonry. So I had this bipolar world going on where every summer I had to pack it up and go out to the woods. There was no stopping me. I'm going to go join my family. You walk around in Rainbow and everybody says, we love you. We love you. You get sick of it. You're like, oh, I know. I know. You know you <laughs> I've been walking for two miles and up a hill, just, you know, yes, I love you too. Um, there's so much love that it's like that, you know? Uh, but at Rainbow, all these miracles happen, all these little magical acts happen, uh, you know, psychic abilities grow, everything becomes way much more. And you can't explain that to anyone unless you've experienced it. You have to go out there and really, and then you still got to be open to it. Because for me, magic is um, the idea of imposing your will. Great distinction. Yeah, no, I has, I, I'm sorry I even used that word because it is such a, got a dark connotation. But I've never had a miracle occur that did not involve another human. Mm. Right? Mm. It was always somebody Beautiful. that was my angel. 
one time I decided to, to see what would happen if I instilled angelic energy in myself. So I envisioned these giant wings down my back and I wandered uh, through the Demon Mineral Show at Tucson, Arizona. Mm-hmm. And the whole time I, I imagined these wings. The people that I met, I ended up staying with Gabriella or Gabriel. Mm-hmm. My, uh, my source of contact that I would go to for, for information and for you know, even guidance was Michael. Uh, had parties and pizza with Raphael uh, <laughs> and didn't stop. Like everybody <laughs> I met was literally an angel when I was like uh, imagining this, you know? Mm-hmm. It was crazy. It was true. And Amazing. I noticed, you know. And I ended up running into Raphael a couple more times and having parties and pizzas with it, which is what Raphael's known for. And Michael and, and Gabriel, you know, Gabriella took care of me and stuff. And so that was, you know, that was like magic there, you know, where you actually create this reality around yourself. And so in my wanderings, I took on many uh, road trades because you had to have something to allow you to interact with people. So I started making juggling sticks. Mm-hmm. And I got I got a set sitting over there still. You know, this was <laughs> 1993. <laughs> I started making those things. <laughs> and it just really allowed me to go meet people. I might make $30, you know, but it was really more of an end to just be able to talk to people. Right. Um, and I did lighter leashes. Those uh, really kept me moving for quite some time. <laughs> Strangest things it didn't matter what I did you know as long as it was something that would allow me to so uh from from that from wandering around talking with everybody to get to how I ended up talking publicly like this I landed in Austin Texas I was living in my van on Christmas Light Street and uh I was just hanging out for South by Southwest and uh so one day I took the, the, the city bus uh, just to, I don't know where I was going, you know, but the van stayed on Christmas Light Street. I'd take the bus or walk. Because <laughs> um, you couldn't afford to move. You know what I mean? I didn't have money, right? Uh, right. So <laughs> uh, I met this homeless guy on the bus. He was this gray-haired, greasy, breezed-back gray hair with one white eye, kind of creepy-looking, but so happy. And he comes bouncing over to me and he's like, you look interesting. Can I talk to you? (laughs) And I'm like, sure. So, you know, that's a key ingredient too, is, you know, saying yes instead of no. People so often will sit there and think of all the reasons why they should not do something. And, you know, and and, uh, so that was always a key ingredient was saying yes. So this homeless man named Zoe, uh, we get into a conversation about the keys of Enoch which just happened to be the only book I brought with me. I don't even know why I bring books. I never read them, but I brought that one because it was easily just to use for reference or, you know, you could open the pages and just feel it. Uh, it's a strange book by J.J. Hurtak, which I've never actually made it all the way through. But we ended up talking about that. And then he's like, can I do your numerology? Can I do your numerology? And I'm sure. So he gets off on my bus stop with me and starts wandering with me and my friends. Uh, and it turns out that he's living in a van about four blocks from where I'm living in my van. <laughs> oh. 
And one day he leaves a note on the windshield of my van and says, you got to go to the mall and see this guy talk. And he gives me all the bus numbers to take. And so I'm like, okay. So I jump in the bus and I go off to the mall. It's this rinky-dink mall in Austin, Texas with nobody in it. And I'm wandering through this dead mall, wondering what the heck I'm walking into. And I go into this room and I already know like six to 10 people in that room. I'd only been in Austin for a weekend. But all these people, they knew each other. And well, know, these type of things happen to me a lot. Right. But uh, so I'm in this room. I'm with these people. I'm, I'm now networking because now they all know each other. And I didn't know that. And um, I'd already been telling my story, uh, you know, the conspiracy story that I had to tell of how I predicted 9-11, what shock and awe really meant, how I saw the downfall of America coming and mm -hmm. how they were going to do it. And so these were a lot of things that I would discuss and along with ancient civilizations and some high strangeness and all of that. But this was my main thing uh, was symbolic gestures that I was witnessing. No one knew any of this stuff before me. Everything changed. The whole world changed for me because that was when I saw the, the true symbolic gestures of what was going on. The Y2K ritual was a massive ritual. Uh, and... You know, you could say it was the Lucifer, but that's always so confusing to people. Uh, mm -hmm. It was a solar deity ritual that they did for Y2K across the country. Every nation was involved, Paris and London, America. Uh, they all did the same type of ritual. But if you weren't in the clique, if you didn't know, you would never even notice. You know, like, why is Bill Clinton saying it is a rising sun? You know, the whole audience is like, um, because <laughs> that was his like conclusion it is a rising sun and everybody just went uh... get ready to read all these words on this page without making a mistake Look at the letter at the end and remember the sound it makes. Get ready? Hi! Yes, hi. Get ready to read this word the fast way. Get ready? Hey. Yes, sound it out. Get ready. Hey. Sound it out. Get ready. What word? Kick. Yes, kick. Boys and girls, sound this word out. Get ready. Steel. What word? Steel. Yes, steal. Read these words the fast way. Get ready. Play. Yes, play. Get ready. Must. Yes, must. Let's read these words the fast way without making a mistake. Page 153. 
Sure. Um, now at this point, okay, well, let me, let me just conclude with Zoe. So I'm in this bus with this homeless dude and he brings me to the mall. The, the meeting at the mall turns out to be George Green, who was uh, Bill Clinton's financial, no, Jimmy Carter's financial advisor. Uh, my dad was also friends with Carter, but um, they were in a submarine together. But, um, so who knows if Jimmy and my dad were chasing aliens together. I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, but so, I mean, that's true, guys. It's true. My dad was in Project Blue Book. It's, you know, it's not like I knew about it or anything that he told me. Um, but so anyway, uh, this guy, George Green, comes in, and he's sharing the message from these extraterrestrials known as the Palladians. Only now they're going by Plajarans, I guess. And he went out to Billy Meyer in Switzerland and met with the Plajarans and uh, 
published their book for them, which was called Handbook for a New Paradigm. Now, I've read Handbook for a Paradigm a number of times, and I don't agree or get it or vibe with it whatsoever. So I do not promote it. I do not, uh, you know, anyway, I don't know where that came from. And uh, when you don't have a sport group, you don't have anything to go to, then that's when you fall into serious despair. Because if you've got this darkness in your soul and you got nowhere to put it and no one to you know, nurture you, then that's when you fall apart. And I fell apart. I did. Uh, but because I know of the magic of the road, I just took off. Because I can leave. I can walk out my door. I know this. This is not a belief. <laughs> I can yeah. walk out my door right now and I can cross this whole country for the next four or five months if I wanted to without a fuck, without anything. I could go without anything on my back and I would be completely fine the entire time. And this is long before I was the famous Freeman, you know what I mean? Like uh, yeah. people think, well, you could do it because people know you. But no, I've done this all, you know, for 25 years. So uh, I've only been doing the show for 15, right? So it's, it's the difference between being home free and going on a vacation. You know, vacation is very planned, very sorted. It stresses you out. You have to meet schedules. You have to be on time. You got to do all that. Whereas home free and you just get in your van, you don't know where you're going and everything turns out awesome. No one believes that, right? They think they need to settle in and set up everything and know where they're going to land and what's going to happen the moment they get there and all of that. And that's the big fault, the, the big flaw in humanity's thinking is this lack of faith and the, the miraculous, the synchronistic. And then the inability, again, to uh, set your ego aside because none of this works if you don't, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, like, I took a school bus around the United States to prove to everybody what I'm saying. And it's like, okay, look, 2012, I'll take a school bus around the entire United States. You guys know I have no money. I'm not getting paid to do what I do. I didn't get paid to do what I do until just recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll take this school bus because I was going to be homeless anyway, <laughs> I, I'll just buy a school bus and I'll tour the country for 2012, do Woody Harrelson bit, right? And I'll show you the end of the world. And I ended up being the most interesting thing that happened in 2012. And I filmed it all and broadcast it through YouTube, but nobody noticed. And I wanted to show everybody that this is possible. And so I'm going to take the most impossible vehicle a thing that gets two miles to the dollar, right? Two mm-hmm. miles to the dollar. Get this, all right? If, this, if you don't get this, if you miss your exit, it costs 10 bucks. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not an exaggeration. $10 to miss your exit, right? <laughs> yeah. And here I am completely broke, completely just on the road in this big bus. And I'm broadcasting it to everyone so that they could see that this miraculous thing can happen. I ended up doing a sacred spiral around the United States without trying. Uh, I was just going by emails. People said, hey, bring your bus to my house. And of course, I would have about a total of three days before the cops had me have to move the bus, can't park a bus here, you know. Uh, Usually about three days is as long as I can keep that bus anywhere. But we ended up making a sacred spiral around the United States perfectly from the dead center of the United States in Lawrence, Kansas. And we ended up doing the Merry Pranksters, the 60s bus trip in reverse and had no idea that we did that to the point that we landed in La Honda in the school bus. Somebody gave me a Ken Kesey, who was the school bus owner, 
uh, gave me his book, his jail journal. I opened up the book and it says, when I bought this bus in La Honda, I was in La Honda with my past. You know? <laughs> it was crazy. 